Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Good afternoon on a beautiful Friday and welcome to the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California and 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas. I am joined as always by producer G. Hey Wiley. G. Hey, I would normally ask you how you're doing and I still care how you're doing, but we are joined by our good friend, friend of the program, Nick Hamilton. I mean, this is a very special week as we're going into one of the biggest weeks in Los Angeles sports history. So we had to start the show off with a bang. Nick Hamilton, how are you doing? I'm doing good. And if GA, if Nick, Nick cares, if nobody else. Cares. <laughs> I mean, I got, I got to hear what, what my man over there, Nick, is how he's feeling, how he's just feeling about life in general and his w- words of wisdom. I can't wait for them. Nick, we cannot wait for this upcoming week. You know, I've been telling Jihei, you know, what, you know, what, what this week will mean in terms of having a real true Super Bowl week. Uh, Jihei and I tried to experience it last uh, year in uh, Tampa. There was no one there. It was the height of the pandemic. I really believe, and I don't think I'm jumping the gun by saying this feels like this is sort of like the beginning of the end of the pandemic. Like, like as I'm going through my week's planning, Nick, and I think you're doing the same, it it feels normal. It feels like all these events and all these parties and all these things that are coming to Los Angeles this week, it feels like a normal Super Bowl week. I mean, and I'm so happy that Los Angeles gets to experience this upcoming week, how significant this upcoming week is for Los Angeles. It, 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 if the Rams can find a way to get this win, and we can have a parade, and again, we don't know if it's going to be down Figueroa or somewhere else. This is the most significant week as we proceed, as we come up to Sunday, one week from Sunday, the Super Bowl. Nick, how significant is this Super Bowl for the Los Angeles Rams? I think it's extremely significant. It has so many ramifications surrounding it. I mean, you look at just the economic value when it comes in, as it pertains to the organization, as, as it pertains to the NFL and even the city of Los Angeles and the city of Inglewood, um, it's going to have, I mean, it's going to have enormous uh, opportunities and ramifications um, as far as the people coming here. Um, and also, too, when you look at, we, as we always talk about, Arash, we, we, you know, we grew up in Los Angeles. This is a Dodger and Laker town, but if the Rams happen to win the Super Bowl and win it all, that will slide them into probably the three spot, as we like yeah. to call it, because it would be a Dodger, Laker, and Rams town. And the Rams, we, we've heard all through the season, especially in the latter part of the season, people were questioning if, if the Rams fans were alive, if they were real. And I think this is just a, a buzz that continues to, to, to uh, elevate as it pertains to just a winning franchise and a winning culture. And this is the one thing that the Rams have pretty much rolled the dice on and hopefully they can cash in and cash out uh, when they cut when it comes to getting that Super Bowl. I mean, this is something that Stan Kroenke envisioned from the moment he he returned from St. Louis. Um, and so, when you look at the Rams and what they've had to go through, especially since the last Super Bowl, uh, I believe in 2019 in Atlanta, uh, when they came up short, they learned a lot of different things. Even when we spoke with Kevin Demoff, um, that, that the organization learned some things, as well as the coaching staff. Uh, learn some things about how to go about 
moving forward. And it's a remarkable accomplishment when you've gone to a Super Bowl twice uh, in your six, you know, six year tenure uh, that you've been back in Los Angeles. I mean, obviously that most iconic structure in sports entertainment in SoFi Stadium. I mean, this is something that we've been anticipating for a very long time. And now it's back in our city. Come on, <laughs> now, the, the turn up is going to be real. No, no, no doubt about that. Uh, Nick, your your thoughts on sort of, um, you know, what Sean McVay meant, because we were both there at the beginning when the Rams first moved to Los Angeles. And I posted this column that I wrote, you know, back when um, Stan Kroenke bought this little lot of land and it was the old Hollywood Park and they were thinking about building a stadium here. And I said, you know, it would be great to have the Rams back, but you know what? Like, it, it, it's not just enough to have the, the Rams back. They have to win. Um, there is a different feeling now, Nick. I think the the, the city of Los Angeles, and uh, you, you, you're going to hear this a lot this week. You're going to hear this on your local television, your local radio. You could be a part of the Super Bowl experience. You can go to the, the LA Convention Center be a part of the Super Bowl experience. You can go see the old championship rings. You can see the Vince Lombardi trophy. There may be a party you get invited to. I mean, the Super Bowl is in our backyard. Nick, I think if the Rams had won the Super Bowl back in Atlanta a couple of years ago when we were there uh, against the Patriots, that would have meant a ton. I mean, I mean, it would have been huge. This one, to me, because it's in Los Angeles, it feels different. And I'll give you two examples here, Nick. And I want to get your thoughts on this. When the Lakers won in the bubble, they were in Orlando. They were in the bubble in Orlando for 100 days. I mean, they were our team, but quite frankly, they were away from us. There were no fans. They were, they were in the bubble. There was no parade, obviously. When the Dodgers won in 2020, they were in their quasi-bubble in Texas. They, they, they were there for the majority of the playoffs. No fans had fans there in the, in the World Series, reduced capacity, no parade. If the Rams win, Nick, and normally, generally speaking, they would have won in a, you know, a neutral site somewhere. But they have a chance to win in Los Angeles. They have a chance to win a SoFi Stadium, and we have a chance to have the first parade that we've had in Los Angeles in, in, in quite some time. This is different, Nick. It feels, it feels different. Again, so I think it would have been significant if they had won a couple of years ago when they lost to New England, but things happen for a reason, and I really do believe if the Rams win this city's first Super Bowl in nearly 40 years, in almost the first Super Bowl we've hosted in 30 years, this will officially make Los Angeles a Rams town. I think it's definitely on the on that on that particular trajectory because when you you mentioned about the Lakers not being around, you mentioned about you know the Dodgers not being around, and it's almost like talking to that long distance girlfriend that you have yet to <laughs> see, even though you guys are FaceTiming, you guys are talking on the phone, but you can't have any kind of physical contact. Now that she her job has moved her where you are, now you can see each other almost every day. And it means a little bit more when you guys get together versus when you didn't. And this is what the Rams mean. The Rams are the fact that they're at they're at home. The Rams uh, you know, they're they're playing in front of the crowd. This is the first year that we actually had had an opportunity to have a crowd all season long. And now that's led up to Super Bowl fifty six where the crowd can actually be 
in the bin in the in venue, excuse me, and be able to witness their Rams actually make history as far as winning a Super Bowl uh, for the first time in Los Angeles. Uh, th this team has gone to the Super Bowl before when they were in Los Angeles, but came up, you know, short. Uh, the last time they won a Super Bowl, obviously in 2000 uh, in St. Louis, uh, and that was that was a distance, and, and uh, so it wasn't the same. So now you have an opportunity to actually witness something that you've been hoping for and praying for for, for a lot of fans. And it's going to be something special. I mean, it's in Los Angeles. You have the parties. You know, you, you, you're you still dealing with the Amara uh, crime, you know, variant yeah. of COVID. Uh, but at the same time, I think people are going to be a little bit more, uh, you know, appreciative of what is being what is going on. And if the Rams, like I said, if the Rams do win it, I think they're on the verge of making this, you know, you know, a part of a, a Rams, you know, nation, as it were. Yeah. Um, Dodgers, Lakers, and then you talk about having a parade, something that we were anticipating the Dodgers and Lakers having, but unfortunately we couldn't have it for whatever logistical reason. Um, we never got a true reason or probably never got a parade for the Lakers or the Dodgers. But this time I'm sure the Rams and Stan Kroenke will make sure the fans will be able to celebrate. Um, and hopefully he will, he will invite the Dodgers and the Lakers yeah. to, to share into the celebration. Um, you know, hopefully we can pop some we can pop some Bel Air, you know, as they board the buses arrive as much as we've been covering this team. <laughs> and uh be able to uh, you know, it's funny because myself and uh my colleague and friend Michael Washington see we were talking about that, like, man, how are they going to orchestrate this parade? Like yeah. it's gotta go through like every part of the city, like it's gotta go through Downtown has got to it's got to wind up at SoFi where they have some type of rally where the fans can actually come into the stadium and actually enjoy it. Um, who can't be along the the parade route? So I think there there definitely got to be a, a big time celebration, man. It's got to be on some puff daddy type of level where, <laughs> hey man, everybody's gonna celebrate, everybody's partying, um, and it's it's got to be that that extravagant because of what they all they have to gone through, all that they've gone through, rather. Excuse me, um, when it comes to this team and, and bringing this team back and playing at the Coliseum and the Coliseum still didn't feel, really feel like home, even though it was technically their home, but now so far actually feels like that home. Um, it's like they moved from an apartment that was in a shady neighborhood <laughs> to now an upscale, uh, you know, penthouse in the sky. So this is what it feels like, man. And, it, and it's a great feeling. Um, when you tap into a lot of the fans out here in Los Angeles, man, they are amped. They're ready. Um, you see a lot of Rams gear. You see a lot of Rams flags starting to come out, um, which is a beautiful thing to see. Uh, Dick, this is like an aside, but I want to bring in Jihei for this question. Were you at that first Rams press conference that um, they had in a hotel in the South Bay? I don't want to give out the name of the hotel for a particular reason, but remember when the Rams, like it was Jeff Fisher and it was a few players, and they kind of like were – they got together to essentially talk about what the relocations could be like. And I, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Like, were you there for that? Are you familiar with that press conference? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I, I don't want to give out this name of the of the hotel for this reason, but I do want to bring in GA for that. GA, so this hotel in the South Bay was where the Rams, they, they were they they had they had just went from the St. Louis Rams to the, the Los Angeles Rams. And this was their first team meeting as a Los Angeles Rams. It was at this hotel in the South Bay. 
and they got together and essentially Jeff Fisher was, you know, saying, listen, I've been through this before when we went from the Houston Oilers to the Tennessee Titans. Um, here's how it's going to go. Yada, yada, yada. That is the hotel, by the way, G. Hey, that they will be in, in the South Bay, to your point, to, to your point, but like, like G. Hey is from the South Bay. They will be staying there the night before the Super Bowl, and I and I don't. I, I'm pretty sure that's not a coincidence. I'm pretty sure Kevin Demoff and the people who were behind that—that's a tip of the hat to look at where we are now. And I, that would not have been a possible with the Super Bowl that they had in like Atlanta when they were there. Um, GA, it does seem like the South Bay, and it's not going to be like the Kings was. It, you know, the Kings really adopted the South Bay as their home. Majority of those players live there. This is the Rams' subtle tip of the hat to the South Bay. Their first team meeting was in this particular South Bay hotel, and their final team meeting before they take the team bus to the Super Bowl, which is not too far from this hotel, will 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 be there. And I and I take a, some pride in, in terms of someone who's lived there for ten years. But you 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 grew up there, GA. I mean, how have you seen? Now that I'm telling you this, and we didn't even talk about this off air, but I I really think that that is a cool thing that the Rams are doing this. Um, you know, the South Bay's connection to the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, you know what? I, th I think I know which one. I have yeah. one of two in mind. I have well, one of two in mind. That and you it's could probably possibly the one thinking. that you're thinking about, and we'll talk about it off air, but I don't want the fans to bombard them pregame, but <laughs> it is really cool that this is where their first team meeting was as soon as they moved to Los Angeles and perhaps their last team meeting before they win, hopefully, their first Super Bowl. I mean, I will say this is that if you come to the South Bay and you um, and you win, obviously, but if you come to the South Bay and you uh, embrace the South Bay as your home as a Los Angeles team, the South Bay will embrace you as well. Yeah. So um, I, I think that and we obviously saw that when the Kings won the uh, the cup those two times. So, I mean, it's it's not a coincidence, I don't think. I mean, no. I think a lot of, you know, Lakers, former Lakers, current Lakers, a lot of former Clippers, current Clippers um, have also chosen to reside in the South Bay. A lot of celebrities, um, maybe they might be B-list celebrities, but some of them as well, um, some writers, etc. They all love and, you know, Arash yourself included, love the South Bay. What's not to love? It's beautiful out here. So, um no, this doesn't really surprise me. And I mean, kudos, like, I love that it's coming full circle, right? Uh, but again, you will have, um, if they do make an appearance out and about, they will definitely uh, be, uh, they will definitely be beloved and they will be embraced out here, especially if they keep winning. They're, they're almost like, they're pretty much like any uh, LA uh, city, kind of, right? Like if you keep winning, yeah. you know, they'll, everybody will keep loving you. So just keep winning, Rams. And listen, the, the Rams are in a unique position. And Nick, you're probably the same way. I mean, you've done uh, hits across the world. And I'm not just saying that. Like, you've literally done the BBC. You've done, you know, uh, hits around the world. And I think people who are not from here are confused. Like, why aren't the Rams more beloved than the Lakers and the Dodgers? Like, they've literally been here for six years, folks. Like, sports is the only... 
uh, thing where you are apparently required to give your love and devotion to this team as soon as they come into your town. The Lakers have been here since 1960. The Dodgers have been here since 1958 or something. I mean, like, the Lakers and Dodgers have been here for a long time. I'm sorry. The St. Louis, uh, I'm going to say St. Louis Rams. The Rams were in St. Louis for the majority of our childhood. Me, Nick, Yuji-he, we grew up essentially with the Rams being the St. Louis Rams. And I got to be honest with you. I don't give a damn about the St. Louis Blues. I don't give a damn about the St. Louis Cardinals. And I didn't give a damn about the St. Louis Rams. But when they came to my town, when they came to Los Angeles, when they came to my community, I did begin, begin to care about them. It's an important word. I'm not going to blindly from Jump Street give my love and devotion to them. That comes over time. And where does fandom begin? Fandom begins with moments. Moments in time that you can reflect on and say that was when we established a connection. When Matthew Stafford hit Cooper Cup with that big, long uh, throw that that resulted in a game-winning field goal, and I was at my friend's house, and I was super excited, and I celebrated. Or when the Rams had that uh, you know uh, turnover, and they clinched the NFC. Like you're you weren't. By the way, Los Angeles, you're not a bandwagon fan. You know why? Because the Los Angeles Rams just got here. You did not grow up with the Los Angeles Rams. So don't be ashamed if you were a fan of another team. And now you're like, you know what? Listen, I'm from L.A. I rep L.A. I don't rep Green Bay, Wisconsin. I don't rep Las Vegas, Nevada. I don't rep Oakland. I don't rep San Francisco. I don't rep a team whose fan base chance beat L.A. I rep L.A. And it's okay for me to switch allegiances because, quite frankly, when I grew up, we didn't have a team. And it's okay to do that. It's okay to do that because this is a unique situation. You grew up in a city that did not have a team. I know I just went off on, on a rant there, Nick, but, like, I think it's okay for Los Angeles to jump on this bandwagon because since we've been alive, Nick, we didn't grow up with the Los Angeles Rams. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's the same thing with the L.A. Kings. With the L.A. Kings, even though the Kings were always here, I think when Wayne Gretzky came, that's what changed the face of hockey in Southern California. That opened up some other doors for the San Jose Sharks and for the Anaheim yeah. Ducks. And the same thing with the Los Angeles Rams returning. And you got to give a lot of credit to Sam Kroenke, Kevin Demoff, um, you know, Les Snead, obviously later on Sean McVay, and even in the community uh, affairs uh, division with Molly Higgins and everybody in that, in that staff because – it's all. It was a collective effort. And also, too, they had a lot of work ahead of them, and they made sure. And I have to give a lot of credit to, you know, Mayor Butts of Inglewood as well for, you know, no. being open to allowing, you know, uh, the, the Rams and the Chargers, uh, you know, to, to be in, in Inglewood, in Los Angeles, in L.A. County, to really make an impact. And so I think the thing with L.A. is that L.A. likes stars. And Stan Kroenke, who we all know has very deep pockets, uh, was able to bring guys into the fold and, and be able to, to move pieces almost like on the chessboard uh, to better his team. You know, Jalen Ramsey, we got Von Miller, we got OBJ. Um, you know, you developed, you, 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 you grew with Cooper Cup. You grew uh, when the train with Robert Woods coming back home, you know, a former USC Trojan. Um, you know, you, you, you grew with these guys. I mean, 
You, you watch, you know, Todd Gurley. You watch all these other guys. And then we saw Matthew Stafford, a guy that people had doubts about. But the Rams cast everything in and look how much it's paid off. And then also you got to look at the great, you know, coaching staffs. I mean, you we, you lost Brandon Staley, uh, but you gained Raheem Morris, a guy who had been a head coach in the league, who still should be a head coach in this league, yeah. I might add. Yeah. Uh, but he's been he's done great with the with the defense. Kevin O'Connell. Uh, we when we spoke we spoke with Matthew Stafford today. Uh, excuse me, yesterday I should say. You know he gave a lot of credit to Kevin O'Connell. He said, "Look, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Kevin O'Connell and what he's been at the game plan he's been able to orchestrate." So there's a lot of moving parts and moving pieces. But Stan Kroenke has made sure he's given a, a first class uh, opportunity to the fan base. And again, LA likes winners, like GA said, but we also like stars. And they were able to master both areas in order to get to this point for Super Bowl 56. No doubt about that, Nick. No doubt about that. And Sean McVay, despite the fact that he's only been a coach for five years, has a heck of a coaching tree. All right, we'll leave it there for now. Nick, you're the best. Thank you so much. We will be joined by you during Super Bowl week. We will talk more about this when we come back right here on the Mightier 1090. We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California and 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas. Again, the Los Angeles Rams are going to the Super Bowl. That's a very significant thing because the Super Bowl will be in Los Angeles. It is happening one week from Sunday at SoFi Stadium. Doesn't get bigger than that. This is the most expensive ticket, according to ticket brokers out there, according to uh, TickPick. And StubHub, the cheapest ticket to get into the game is almost $7,000. The average ticket price is almost $10,000. Anyways, the one guy who doesn't have to pay for a ticket is Sean McVay. Let's now hear from Los Angeles Rams coach Sean McVay about this big game next Sunday. Hey, Coach. Um, wanted to just ask you about just the connection that you've seen over the, the season and even in the playoffs between Matthew Stafford and um, Kevin O'Connell. Yeah, I think I think it's been great, Nick. You know, Kevin is such a great communicator. You know, they spend a lot of time together and, and Kevin does a great job leading the way for our offense, but also he and Zach Robinson with the quarterback room in particular. And then during games, um, those guys have so much communication and dialogue. And, you know, while I'm still kind of up there looking at defense and what's going on in the kicking game, you know, Kevin and I are in constant dialogue as well as with Matthew, but their rapport, you can see they have a, a, a great relationship, but there's mutual respect and they positively push each other. And, you know, those are two guys that are instrumental and big reasons why we're in this position, Nick. Hey, Sean, you face some very good offenses with great running backs like Mitchell, receiver Debo Samuels. How much does that prepare you for Joe Mixon and Joe Burrow or are the Bengals too different to compare? No, well, you know what? They're they're great players, you know, from the Niners that you're mentioning. And, uh, you know, we played a lot of great players, but the Bengals do have a, a great group of skilled players. They're excellent on offense. They play a little bit differently um, than the 49ers, just in terms of their overall approach for, you know, some of the different concepts and things they activate, personnel groupings. But Zach Taylor does a great job. Um, you know, obviously Joe Burrow's a special player at the switch. I think Mixon's one of the more complete players in this league at the running back spot. 
and then Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd present arguably uh, as good of a 11 personnel grouping from the receiver spot as there is in this league. Yeah, I got a local question for you, Sean. You got six guys on your team uh, that are from Southern California playing at home in the big game here in the Super Bowl. So for guys uh, like Eric Weddle, Greg Gaines, David Long, uh, Matthew, even Robert Woods, I know who's, who's on the IR, uh, and Coleman, have you noticed anything or seen anything this week, even if it's like with ticket requests from people locally uh, that makes it extra special for them. Yeah, I think um, I think this moment, you know, because in some form or fashion, even if guys didn't grow up here, you know, this is home and I got a lot of guys love that. Um, you know, I tell these guys, these are champagne problems. You know, these tickets are hard to come by, but um, there are a lot of requests. This is special to a lot of people, but I think this team is so special, Michael. You know, these guys really care about one another. Um, they're doing everything in their power to put together, you know, a couple good weeks of preparation so that we can really uh, put an exclamation point on this season in, in a positive way against an excellent challenge. But um, I think it has been special. It's been kind of a whirlwind, you know, really for for everybody. And I told my fiance, if I have to answer a question about tickets, then that person is not getting any. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Your coaching tree every single year draws uh, so much attention. I'm sure you get a, a lot of phone calls every year and, and your guys are getting head coaching positions, including, you know, Zach, who you're facing, obviously, yeah. next week. But I, I wonder, as the, as the years kind of have passed, what sort of responsibility that means you've had to assume um, in, in that regard in terms of placing new candidates and also what responsibility, if any, that you've learned that you have in terms of helping to diversify the pool of candidates in the NFL? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I think number one, I almost think it's a little ridiculous when you talk about the tree because, you know, these guys are co-workers where we positively pour into one another. You know, I just happen to be in the role that I'm in, but whether it's Kevin, Brandon, Staley, Zach Taylor, Matt LaFleur, I learned more from them than those guys have from me. And I think they've been instrumental parts of a lot of the things that have been right. The players are what make this place so special. And then when you have success because you're around great players and great coaches, that leads to opportunities that I've been so fortunate enough to have here and for these guys to be able to grow their careers. And it's one of the most rewarding things. Um, it does create some good positive stress, but it also opens up opportunities, Jordan, to get exposure to new special coaches. Two years ago, I didn't know Kevin O'Connell and Brandon Staley. You know, Matt LaFleur and I go way back, but when I first got here, I didn't know Zach Taylor. And then, you know, you're talking about the Eric Hendersons of the world, the Thomas Browns, getting a chance to reconnect with Raheem Morris, Ejero Evero, who's going to get a chance to move on to a bigger role. You know, these are special things and these are special men. Um, but I think it is important to be intentional about identifying the greatest coaches that you can to be able to have a positive environment where we're pushing each other in the right way. But you want to be around ambitious people. And I think it is important, you know, to be able to continue to identify um, you know, great coaches from all different types of backgrounds because we've got them on this staff. Um, I've been around a lot of these guys. Um, and I think it is, it's something that the NFL wants to be intentional about continuing to diversify these staffs, especially in some of those leadership roles with the opportunities that, um, you know, are, are few, are too few right now. But I know I've been around, around a lot of great coaches, um, of a lot of different backgrounds. We have them on this coaching staff and I feel really grateful. And, and that's why, uh, people have gotten opportunities because it's about the people and that make this place so special, Jordan. Tim. But it's exhausting having to replace all my guys every year. I'll tell you that much. Hey, Coach, I want to stick on that theme a little bit. So when Zach was here, you guys were kind of like the young wonder kids, you know what I mean? So were you guys like buddies, like, you know, young young coaching buddies? What was your relationship like? And then also with that, what do you think about potentially being the youngest coach to ever win the Super Bowl? 
Yeah, I think um, I think we're. I you here's what I would say, Tim. I looked at Zach. I knew him from afar because I respected him as a player when he was balling at Nebraska, Big Twelve Offensive Player of the Year. And then when he got into coaching, you know, I I, I kind of like to see other guys that are around my age. And we had met, um, you know, just briefly at some of the league functions. But I was so impressed with the way that he handled himself when Dan Campbell took over as the interim head coach in Miami, and then Zach ascended to the offensive coordinator spot. And those are always challenging things when you've got loyalty to Joe Philbin and how do you really manage those dynamics? And I thought he handled it so gracefully, thought he did a great job. And I, you know, I really wanted to get a chance to be able to work with him and learn from him. And it was two great years. He's a special coach. He's a great competitor. He's got a great way about himself with the players. Uh, I think his even keeled demeanor and disposition really shows with the way that his team plays. Um, and, and it, it was really, uh, I have tremendous respect for him. And, and it was it was awesome being able to work with him for those couple of years. And I know he's going to do everything in his power to get after us. And we're going to do everything to try to get after him. And, you know, I'm just taking it a day at a time and, and fortunate to be in this position with with a great group of players and coaches that I love and care about and want to do everything I can to help help us finish this thing off. Hey, Sean, um, earlier this week, Cooper Cup affectionately said you walk a fine line of unhealthy and he said no one you'd rather play for when it comes to preparation. But he also brought up uh, an anger shark. Wondering if you explain what an anger shark is from your standpoint. And is that a, is that a danger to be unhealthy with coaching with an extra week? Yeah. Uh, for number one, you know, Cooper knows me very well. I think uh, very competitive. I can get a little worked up. If you've ever seen the movie Anger Sharks with Adam Sandler, that's, uh, you know, where I, I try to say, I'm not upset, I'm not upset, but I can feel the anger shark swimming. And, and really, it's a result of the competitiveness. But, but he's right, you know, and, and I think um, this is the best place I've been because of this team in terms of being around great players, great coaches that positively push you. And you do want to compete to the best of your ability, but you don't want to lose sight of enjoying it, having some joy in that journey. And, you know, we've talked about that before, Kurt, but it's reminding yourself in the midst of some of the stressful moments to not lose sight of the real purpose for why you do it it's for these players, for these coaches that you care and you love about. And anytime you're reminded of that, it really brings you back to an even keeled demeanor and disposition that's reflective of being the best coach you can be. But he knows me very well. I'm comfortable to be vulnerable with Cooper, but guys like him are why you coach, why I love this so much. Um, and uh, yeah, I think he probably, he probably said it best. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Hey, Sean, when you think back to the coaching staff you have now, especially Raheem Morris, what do you think you have learned most from working with Raheem? Uh, I just think the ability to communicate with people in a direct manner that that brings people with him instead of really distances yourself from him. He's got such a great way of being able to deliver tough information in a way that's received the right way. And I think that's a credit to and one of the underrated qualities and traits of any great coach is emotional intelligence. And he's got as good of emotional intelligence as anybody I've been around. He's a great leader. He's got such a charisma and a presence and a great feel for when to inject humor, but he's very demanding and direct with people. And I think being around him has taught me to be more direct. Sometimes I think, you know, your fears when you're in these leadership roles is telling people things that maybe they don't like because you want to be liked. And I think that, uh, Raheem's refreshing security that he has within himself and his ability to connect, but also command and be demanding, but not demeaning is, is what makes him so special. And 
you know, he's a close friend, but uh, I just feel really grateful to, to be working with him. And it's been, uh, it's been outstanding, Maria, and he's done such a great job for us. Coach, uh, let me say congratulations on Sunday night, first and foremost. And thank you. Uh, secondly, you know, four years ago, you were going up against another extension of the Patriot dynasty. This, you know, 10 days from now, you've got an up and coming Bengals squad that is probably maybe arrived a little bit early than people thought. But what I'm curious is, and I know the preparation of X's and O's is obviously going to be a lot different. But what I want to know is, from that first experience four years ago, is there anything that you took out of that in your overall preparation that you're going to do differently this time with the entire group, with your, with your team? Yeah, I would say it's a little bit different just because, you know, you don't have as many media obligations and some of the COVID restrictions. So I think it's important to, you know, specifically allocate the game plan over the next two weeks in a way that's digestible and very clear for the players but not feeling like you got to overwhelm them early on in the week. You know, what I thought I did a mistake of the last time was you have the mindset that we want to put the majority of it in before we travel to Atlanta. But in the back of my head, I always knew I had another week and you're tweaking and different things like that. And I think I tinkered with that too much. Being able to trust, you know, having a process with how you study the film. There's 20 games of inventory. You can drive yourself crazy if you watch too much, but being able to specifically delegate the time appropriately put your players in what you think is the best spots, but not chase ghosts with having those two weeks. Um, and remember, it's about these guys and, and having confidence. And I think it's trust in the players, trust in yourself and trust in everybody around you, um, you know, just to be in the moment and uh, and then let them go play uh, with a quieted mind on Sunday the 13th. Hey, Sean, I got a kind of a combination question for you. Uh, in regard to Evan, in layman's terms, what has been his main responsibilities you know, with you and, and why do you think he'll be a good head coach when he gets the opportunity? And then in terms of Matthew Stafford on, on Super Bowl Sunday, how do you prepare him for separating the magnitude of the event with just going out there and playing a game? Yeah. So I think the first thing with Kevin, you know, Kevin is truly the offensive coordinator, does a great job, you know, working in uh, coordination with the rest of the offensive coaches to put together the game plans um, to lead a lot of the different meetings. Um, he also is heavily responsible for running a lot of the quarterback meetings, you know, where he's heavily involved with, with Matthew, with John Walford, with Bryce Perkins and, and Zach Robinson. Um, you know, but everything that, that, that is encompassing of, of leading our offense, helping put together the game plans and really, you know, how we operate on game day. So he's done a great job. Why I think he'll be a great coach is I think he's a great leader. I think he's got great capacity and command for this game. He's got a great ability to relate to the players um, and, and be able to connect with them. And I think one of the most important things as a coach, Gary, is, um, you know, do those players know that you care about them and can you make them a better football player? And Kevin checks both of those boxes. Um, you know, he, he, he's, he's got a great way about himself with people. He's got phenomenal character. And so I can't say enough good things about him and how fortunate I've been to have gotten to know him the way that I had over these last couple of years. And, and he's been vital to our success as a team and offensively. And I really lean heavily on him. As far as Matthew goes, Gary, um, you know, I just think he's got such a great way about himself. It's his first Super Bowl, but, um, you know, it's a big game, but there's been a lot of big games he's been a part of. And he's done an outstanding job leading this team in, in our first three playoff games. I think he's at his best when he's enjoying the moment playing cool, calm, and collected, uh, being that great competitor and, and bringing people with him. And, and that's exactly what he'll do. And 
you know, we're just going to, we're going to be connected every step of the way, but I'm not worried about him. I I just want to make sure that, uh, you know, we're on the same page. He feels good about everything that we're asking him to do and, and just let him go, let it rip. Hey coach. Um, what's the most unique aspect of, of your relationship with Matthew? And then also, um, last couple of games, at the conclusion of the game, you, you kind of ran straight to him on the field after Tampa and, and after the game against the Niners Sunday. What's the significance of those moments and what are you maybe trying to message or are you trying to get across to him at that time? Yeah, you know, until you said that, I didn't even really realize that. You know, I, I think, um, number one, we have a real authentic relationship and friendship, Rashawn. And I think that started when we first met in Cabo. You know, we knew of each other and had kind of casually passed one another. But um, I really enjoy being around him. He's a great guy. He's fun to be around. He's, a, he's you know, he's got a great family. And so, number one, we, re- we really enjoy each other. And I think that's opened up avenues for us to be able to have real conversations, um, you know, have comfort in some of the conflict that can exist between a quarterback coach relationship, um, you know, where I, I think the people that you're closest with, you can tell them what they need to hear, um, not what they want to hear. And um, I love that. I didn't even realize that I was doing that the last couple of games, but I think it's just because that was what came to my mind in the moment because I'm so happy for him and so appreciative of him. And so it's been a special relationship. It's gotten stronger as we've gone and really grateful for him, Rashawn. Uh, hi, Sean. And when Kevin Demoff was talking with us yesterday, he was kind of marveling at how much the roster has has turned over uh, in the three years since the last Super Bowl. I know you talk about how every year's team is, is a new team, but does it strike you too that this has been a lot of change uh, for what was a, a, a really good team? And what does it say about uh, the Rams uh, and the approach that you've been able to do this and, and pull it off? Well, I think number one, um, you know, change is inevitable, as you know, like we've talked about before, Kevin. Um, but I think, you know, those players that were a part of that 18 team are still foundational parts of this team. Aaron Donald, the Andrew Whitworth, Tyler Higby, even though Cooper was injured, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, even though he's injured now, he was vital to that. Rob Havenstein, Johnny Hecker. So there's a lot of guys that are key and critical to our success. And I think that leadership, that foundation that's built, they bring people with them. And I think less in his group. And our coaches have done a great job of identifying some other players that fit as you're looking to replace people. I think we've gotten some really key contributors on some of the moves that we made that there's been a lot of conversation about, whether it be Matthew, Von Miller, Odell, even looking at the way that Eric Weddle has injected an amazing amount of positive energy, looking at being able to re-sign Leonard Floyd, adding Jalen Ramsey since then. And so there's been a lot of uh, good decisions that have been stacked on one another. Um, certainly they haven't all been perfect, but I think there's been more good decisions than there have been bad and you're betting on the people and, and our players and coaches and personnel. Um, you know, we're all pushing and pulling that rope in the same direction. And I think that's critical for any sort of team. And uh, I'm just grateful to be back in this position with an opportunity to try to finish it out the right way. Yeah, Sean, obviously receivers have had a long history of being productive uh, for the Rams. And there was a bit of a drought uh, in that in that regard before you got there. How important was it for you to get that position right for what you wanted to build there? And what were specific things you were looking for uh, to find the right guys? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the first thing I would say, Nick, is I think when you're looking at your receiving group, I think you want to almost have complementary pieces of one another, similar to a basketball team. Um, You know, and and what we had when we first got here, 
you know, was a, was a great group of guys. When you look at three guys that really accentuated each other's skill sets, Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods, and Cooper Cup, you know, they all were really complete receivers, but they did do some elite things a little bit differently. And I think they positively pulled from one another. Then you add Brandon Cooks when Sammy left for the Chiefs. Um, and I thought those three guys were three of the most special receivers I've ever been around. And you talk about a healthy competition, the way they competed without the ball, the way they took the great traits from each other and implemented into their game. I think the toughness, the competitiveness of a Robert Woods, the polish of a Cooper Cup, the speed um, you know, of a Brandon Cooks and the ability to be able to explode in and out of cuts. You know, they, they were able to pull from one another, but they all had nice complementary skill sets. I think you add Odell to the mix and you look at Cooper and what he's asserted himself as. And, you know, it's ever evolving, but, but, you know, ultimately the quarterback has a huge say in that. I thought Jared did a great job of distributing the ball. You know, the tight ends are a part of that question as well, Nick, with Higby and Gerald Everett in previous years. Um, and, you know, certainly Matthew's rapport with these players has been vital to our success. I mean, I think it's as impressive as anything what Kendall was able to do last week in the NFC Championship but also real credit to Matthew, but those guys making the plays. But I could go on and on about it, Nick, but ultimately you're looking for guys that complement each other's skill sets um, based on what specific you know spot you're talking about. But they're great competitors that love football, and, and those are uh, you know, you're checking the box with all those guys that we have. All right, that was Los Angeles Rams coach Sean McVay talking about the big matchup against the Cincinnati Bengals in Super Bowl 56. It's happening at SoFi Stadium one week from Sunday. It is effectively a home game for the Rams. They are playing in their home stadium, in their home locker room, standing on their home sideline, wearing one of their most popular home jerseys. They just have to finish the deal. They got to figure out a way to win this game. If they win this game, they will not only win the game, but they will win the hearts and minds of Los Angeles. The Rams have to win this game. They have to win this game. You know, When, when uh, people talk to me about what do the Rams have to do to win over Los Angeles? You got to win. And it begins with the Super Bowl on Sunday. All right, that's all the time we have for today. Let's do it again on Monday. Until then, this is Arash Markazi saying stay safe and stay healthy. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Everybody got their own thing Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.